Lesson 3 for October 10 to 16, The Last Five Kings of Judah. Sabbath afternoon, October 10. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we sometimes are fascinated by the history of what happened to your people in the Old Testament. And as we're studying the book of Jeremiah at the moment, we're going to be looking at these five last kings of Judah. We pray that as we do so, that we may see your hand, that we may see your love, and that our hearts may be gladdened and open to the infilling of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 16. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Let's read that again, Jeremiah 22, verse 16. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Famed Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky spent four years in a Siberian prison in the 1800s for subversive political activities. Later, writing about his experience, he talked about some of his fellow prisoners' utter lack of remorse for their terrible behaviour. He writes, In the course of several years, I never saw a sign of repentance among these people, not a trace of despondent brooding over their crimes, and the majority of them inwardly considered themselves absolutely in the right. And that's from his book, The Years of Ordeal, 1850-1859, page 95. Dostoevsky could have been talking about, with the exception of Josiah, the five kings who ruled Judah during the ministry of Jeremiah. One after another, these men seemed totally unrepentant for their actions, even as it became clearer and clearer that their actions were bringing the calamities that the Lord, through Jeremiah, had warned would come. It had never been God's intention to give Israel a king. By the end of this week's lesson, we'll better understand why. We'll understand, too, the severe pressure that poor Jeremiah faced during much of his unappreciated ministry. Sunday, October 11, under the rule of Josiah. Josiah was the 16th king to rule in the southern kingdom. His reign spanned from 640 BC to 609 BC. He became king at the age of eight after more than half a century of moral and spiritual decline under his father Amon and grandfather Manasseh, two of the most evil kings in Judah. Josiah's reign lasted for 31 years. Unlike his ancestors, however, Josiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, as it says in 2 Kings 22 verse 2, despite an environment that worked against him. From Prophets and Kings, page 384, we read, Born of a wicked king, beset with temptations to follow in his father's steps, and with few counsellors to encourage him in the right way, Josiah nevertheless was true to the God of Israel. Warned 
by the errors of past generations, he chose to do right, instead of descending to the low level of sin and degradation to which his father and his grandfather had fallen. He turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. As one who was to occupy a position of trust, he resolved to obey the instruction that had been given for the guidance of Israel's rulers. And his obedience made it possible for God to use him as a vessel unto honour. And that brings us to our question. Read Second Chronicles chapter 34. What were the components of Josiah's reform, and why would they be central to any attempt at spiritual reformation, be it corporate or personal? Let's begin Second Chronicles chapter 34 at verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the moulded images he broke in pieces, and made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. In the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. When they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, who kept the doors, had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hand of the foreman, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord." And they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timbers for beams, and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the son of Moriah, and Zechariah the Meshalom, of the sons of the Kohothites, to supervise. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skilful with instruments of music, were over the burden-bearers and were overseers of all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. Now, 
When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened, when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, Abgon, the son of Micah, Shechem, the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhoah, Tokath, T-O-K-H-A-T-H, Tokath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, and all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this matter, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely... I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. 
Thus, Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel, and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Josiah's reform consisted of two main components. First, it was getting rid of much as possible of anything and everything that smacked of idolatry. That is, he worked to remove the evil practices that had arisen in the nation. But that was only the first step. An absence of evil or wrong practices doesn't automatically mean that good will follow. Second, after hearing the book of the law read to him, the king made a covenant before the Lord to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in the book. So to finish today, read Second Chronicles chapter 34 verses 32 and 33. What do these verses tell us about the power of a good example, especially among people in positions of power and influence? Think long and hard. What influence do your words and actions exert on others? Verse 32 and 33, And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel, and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. Monday, October 12, Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, another descent. Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom, was 23 years old when he succeeded his father Josiah on the throne. His reign lasted only three months. Pharaoh replaced him with his brother Jehoiakim, because Jehoahaz was not favourable towards Egyptian politics. Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt and there he died. Uh, let's just check this out in Second Chronicles 36 verse 4. Then the king of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brother Eliakim king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz his brother and carried him off to Egypt. And then in Second Kings 23 verses 31 to 34. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Now Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. 
Jehoiakim reigned from 609 to 598 BC. When Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem, Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon along with vessels from the temple. During the time of Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim, Jeremiah warned the people that these kings were leading the nation down a wrong path. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 22 verses 1 to 19. What were some of the issues with Jehoiakim that brought such a stern rebuke from the Lord? Jeremiah chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. You will sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness, and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For... If you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord to the house of the king of Judah, you are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon, yet I surely will make you a wilderness. Cities which are not inhabited I will prepare destroyers against you, every one with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and every one will say to his neighbour, Why has the Lord done so to this great city? Then they will answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, and worshipped other gods, and served them. Weep not for the dead, nor bemoan them. Weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father, who went from this place. He shall not return here any more, but he shall die in the place where they have led him captive, and shall see this land no more. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages, and gives him nothing for his work who says, I will rebuild myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, panelling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, and it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet... Your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey dragged and cast out before the gates of Jerusalem. The Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, had very sharp words for this corrupt and covetous ruler. 
Jehoiakim was an oppressive and greedy king who imposed heavy taxes in Judah in order to pay the Egyptians. And we read about that in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 35. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land to give money according to the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, from everyone according to his assessment, to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Worse, using forced labour, he had elaborate construction done on his own palace in defiance of the Torah, which was clear about paying people for their work. Leviticus 19.13 Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbour, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Also, unlike Josiah his father, Jehoiakim permitted pagan rites to flourish again in Judah. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 16 is a powerful text. In the context of comparing the corrupt Jehoiakim to his father, Josiah, the Lord, said to him, He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? In other words, the true knowledge of God comes from how one treats those who are in need. It comes when we step out of ourselves to benefit those who can really do nothing for us in return. We see here again, as we see all through the Bible, the Lord's concern for the poor and the helpless, as well as the obligation we have to help those who cannot help themselves. So to finish today, dwell on the idea that helping the poor and the needy is how we come to know the Lord. What does that mean? Tuesday, October 13, the short reign of King Jehoiachin of Judah. The 19th king of Judah was Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. He reigned on David's throne for barely three and a half months. In 598 BC, Nebuchadnezzar brought his forces to Jerusalem and seized the 18-year-old king with his mother, his wives, and many other royal captives. In 561 BC, in the 37th year of his captivity, Jehoiachin was given mercy by evil Merodach, Nebuchadnezzar's successor. He was granted the right to dine with the king of Babylon, and he could wear his kingly robes. Let's look at this in 2 Kings 25, 27-30. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him, and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given to him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. 
And in Jeremiah 52, verse 31 to 34, we read, Now it came to pass in the thirty-seventh year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-fifth day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. His sons were also in Babylon with him, yet Jeremiah's prophecy said they would have to give up the throne of David. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. The words of the Lord through Jeremiah, after King Jehoiachin and his family in the court were taken captive from Jerusalem. Even amid this tragedy, how were God's love and grace revealed? Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace." For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you have caused to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is this. Verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
Here, of course, we have the immediate context, that of the Lord speaking through Jeremiah to the captives of Judah who have seen their lives completely uprooted by their Babylonian conquerors. Yet, even then, no matter how bad their situation seemed, the Lord wanted them to know that He still loved them and had only their good in mind. No doubt, considering the horrific circumstances, they must have welcomed such promising and hopeful words. Thus, even amid all dire warnings and threats, the people were still given the promise of a future and hope. How crucial it must have been for them, especially at that time, to have such assurance. And so to finish the day, a future and a hope, What promises can you claim from the Lord for a future and a hope, even right now, regardless of your circumstances? Wednesday, October 14, at the end of the dead end. Question. Read Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 11 to 14. What do these verses tell us about the last king of Judah before the final destruction of the nation? What spiritual principles of apostasy are revealed in these texts? Well, let's read Second Chronicles chapter 36, 11 to 14. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, All the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more, according to all the abominations of the nations, and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Zedekiah, also known as Mataniah, took the throne at the age of twenty-one, placed there by Nebuchadnezzar as a puppet king. Unfortunately, as the texts say, he hadn't learned many lessons from what had gone before with previous kings, and, as a result, he brought even greater ruin to the nation. Second Chronicles 36 verse 14 states something very profound, a point that in many ways went to the heart of their apostasy. Amid the list of all the evil done under the reign of Zedekiah, it is said that Judah was following all the abominations of the nations. There they were, hundreds of years after the Exodus, hundreds of years as the covenant people who were to be a light and a beacon to the nations, as they were told in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And yet they were still so caught up in the prevailing culture, so caught up in the cultural and religious environment of their neighbours, that they were doing all the abominations of the pagans. Might there be a message there for us? Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 38 verses 14 to 18. What did the king ask him and why? 
Jeremiah 38, beginning at verse 14, Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me? So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hands of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. The Lord had made it clear on numerous occasions that the nation was to submit to the rule of Babylon, that this conquest was punishment for their iniquity. Zedekiah, however, refused to listen, and he formed a military alliance against Nebuchadnezzar. The nation relied heavily on the hope of an Egyptian military victory, but Nebuchadnezzar was victorious over Pharaoh's army in 597 BC. This defeat permanently sealed the fate of Jerusalem and the nation. Despite so many opportunities to repent, to reform, to be revived, Judah refused. So to finish today, we as a church have been raised up to proclaim a message to the world that no one else in the world is proclaiming. In many ways, that is very similar to what Judah was to do. What lessons can we and should we learn for ourselves from their mistakes? Thursday, October 15, The Dark Years Question. What became of Israel and Jerusalem after rejecting God's message? Well, let's have a look at Jeremiah 39, verses 8 and 9. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. Everything that God had warned them would happen to them is exactly what happened. However much they didn't want to believe the warnings, they certainly did believe them after they all came to pass. Who hasn't, even on a personal level, experienced something similar? We're warned by the Lord not to do something or else this will happen, but we do it anyway, and sure enough, what we were told would happen happens. Question. What message is found in Jeremiah 23 verses 2 through to 8? What hope was given the people there? Jeremiah 23 beginning at verse 2. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. 
Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. From a human perspective, all seems lost. Their nation lay in ruins, their temple was destroyed, their rulers were exiled and held captive, and the city of Jerusalem was a pile of stones. The Jewish nation and the Jewish people should have at that time disappeared from history, as had so many other nations that had undergone what they just had. The Lord, though, had other plans, and in the verses that we've just read, and in many others, he gave them the hope that all was not lost, but that a remnant would return, and through them the promises would be fulfilled. That is, amid all the warnings of doom and destruction, the prophets also gave the people their only hope. There's a passage here from Prophets and Kings, page 464. The dark years of destruction and death, marking the end of the kingdom of Judah, would have brought despair to the stoutest heart, had it not been for the encouragements in the prophetic utterances of God's messengers. Through Jeremiah in Jerusalem, through Daniel in the court of Babylon, through Ezekiel on the banks of the Cheba, the Lord in mercy made clear his eternal purpose and gave assurance of his willingness to fulfill to his chosen people the promises recorded in the writings of Moses. That which he had said he would do for those who should prove true to him, he would surely bring to pass. The word of the Lord liveth and abideth forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Friday, October 16. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 466, we read, In the closing years of Judah's apostasy, the exhortations of the prophets were seemingly of but little avail, and, as the armies of the Chaldeans came for the third and last time to besiege Jerusalem, hope fled from their heart. Jeremiah predicted utter ruin, and it was because of his insistence on surrender that he had finally been thrown into prison. But God left not to hopeless despair the faithful remnant who was still in the city. Even while Jeremiah was kept under close surveillance by those who scorned his messages, there came to him fresh revelations concerning heaven's willingness to forgive and to save, which had been an unfailing source of comfort to the church of God from that day to this. 
End of quote. Look at the phrase, Heaven's willingness to forgive and to save. Think about all the ways that we have been shown Heaven's willingness to forgive and save. After all, the cross alone should tell us about this willingness. We have the Word of God, which reveals to us the plan of salvation. We have been given the spirit of prophecy, a wonderful gift. What are other ways we have been shown Heaven's willingness to forgive and to save? And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. Number one, the people approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Jeremiah 42 verse 2. What does this verse and what we read in Jeremiah 23.3 have to say about the remnant theme in Jeremiah? And two, it's so easy from our perspective to look back at sacred history and see all the faults and shortcomings and spiritual deficiencies of God's people of antiquity. And we should, because we have been told that these stories were written as examples for us. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 reads, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The sad thing is, many of these people at the time, in their own context and culture, thought that they were doing the right thing, that they were just fine with the Lord. What warning should that give us about just how blind we can be to our true spiritual state? What are ways we can come to grips with our true spiritual condition? Why must we keep the cross central to that process? What would happen to us if we didn't keep it central to our spiritual lives. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled... The Unexpected Answer A small group of Seventh-day Adventists in Malawi planned to hold evangelistic meetings. On the first night of the meetings, we were disappointed when only a few people came. We prayed, but attendance hovered around 30 people. Some suggested that we cancel the meetings, but the speaker refused. If we pray earnestly, he said, God will make something happen. The next evening, the meeting opened with the same 30 people. We sang and prayed, then the speaker stood up. Suddenly, a commotion of clapping and cheering drowned out the speaker. The commotion increased as a crowd of people following a Nayu, a, a spirit worshipper dressed in swishing grass skirts and rags and wearing an ornate headdress and mask, approached the meeting place. The Nayu probably was on his way to a graveyard. When the Nayu came nearer, he stopped dancing and turned toward the speaker. The crowd following him stopped, and the Nayu wasn't moving. Instead, he leant against a wall, apparently planning to listen to the evangelist. The crowd following him stopped clapping and listened as the speaker quickly resumed his message. The Nayu listened quietly to the rest of the sermon. Someone estimated that 200 people who had been following the Nayu listened as well. 
The speaker was nervous, but he continued with his presentation about Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. After the closing prayer, the Nayu and his followers continued toward the cemetery. The next evening, the meeting started with the same 30 people. But as the program progressed, more came. Even the Nayu, dressed in his mask and swishing skirts, came with his followers. He didn't stand outside the meeting place this time, but entered the tent and sat down. His followers sat down too. The speaker couldn't be sure that the Nayu was the same one who came previously, but he recognized many of his followers. Other visitors came, curious to know what was being preached in their neighborhood that could possibly interest a Nayu. That night, almost 80 people attended the meeting. Attendance at the meetings continued increasing. A few nights later, the speaker invited listeners to accept Jesus as their saviour. That evening, 95 people accepted Jesus and asked for further Bible studies. The next night, nearly 200 people came, including two more Nayus, dressed in torn clothes and wearing leafy branches to cover their faces. That night, an additional 50 answered the call to accept Jesus. The meetings continued for 21 nights and baptismal classes followed. On the day of the baptism, 145 were baptized. Among them was a man who identified himself as the Nayu, who had interrupted the meeting when he stopped to listen that first night. This former Nayu continues to be faithful to Jesus. And this story is by William McCandewire, and he is an active lay worker in Lilawonga, in Malawi. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.